Cry Malt has been supplying the best ingredients to Australian and New Zealand brewers for 30 years. Their range of malt, hops and yeast is sure to take your beer to the next level. Proud sponsors of Brews News and Beer as a Conversation since the very beginning. Learn more about Cry Malt at www.crymalt.com. part of the plan to put a brewery in but for many years it was just a plan it's a hundred percent acquisition of green beacon no we had a chat with everybody anyone would have seen this coming a mile away you know the passion and the, the dedication to beer and brewing oh yeah that's super simple and direct question it's always fun to get to speak about beer so this is beer as a conversation and we're here to talk about all things beer this week, I've got with me Grace Fowler, former brewer at Akasha Brewing Company, as we speak undertaking an equity crowdfund, and now co-founder and head brewer at Reckless Brewing Co., uh, which was launched in September 2019 and is set to open its own brewery and venue very soon. Grace has had his interesting career trajectory, starting in bottle shops um, like Camperdown Cellars and Bars, and then at Icon Brewing. Grace has seen brewing from multiple sides, um, as a brewer and an employee, uh, as a business founder, owner, and head brewer. Um, so her experiences are going to be a really interesting one. Reckless has been working away in the past couple of years as a nomad brewer uh, and recently worked on a project with Akasha, uh, the NAS XPA with ABC presenter and disability affairs reporter Nas Campanella, uh, which spelt out the name of the beer in Braille. Um, so some really interesting things going on for Reckless, which is a relatively new brewery. Um, but Grace, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you for having me. I'm excited. <laughs> um, no, I mean, I've already sort of given a little bio for you there, um, but tell me a little bit, walk me through your career history, because it is a really interesting one. And, and I love always talking about how people got into the industry, because there's so many different routes to it. Um, so yeah, talk me through. It was a little bit random for me, I think. I um, I went straight out of high school to uni and did nursing, which is entirely unrelated. <laughs> but um figured out that wasn't for me. So took off to America for a few years and did summer camps and stuff like that and came back and realized I had no money. So just fell into a few bar jobs and um, eventually camping down cellars and just kind of fell in love with beer, A, because it was cheap uh, and like especially at uni bars. <laughs> um, but B, like when I started working at camping down cellars, I think the explosion, you know, of, of like independent breweries was really taking place and that was such a good place to experience them all. So I actually randomly reconnected with a friend. She came into camping down cellars um, who I'd worked at in bars previously and we kind of reconnected, had, had some dinner and all that kind of stuff and like started hanging out again. And she called me one day and was like, you know, I know you've got lots of beers and stuff at Camperdown Cellars. Like, is there anyone there who you think wants to be a brewer? Because her partner was a brewer at the time. Uh, well, still is. He's the head brewer at Hawks, actually, mm-hmm. um, these days. Oh, but wow. um, And I was like, you know what? That sounds like something that'd be a bit fun. I'll give that a go. So I said, yeah, I'll do it. <laughs> so, yeah, just that's kind of my very, like, that's that doesn't happen to a lot of people. I'm not going to lie. So, <laughs> so don't expect to get into the industry that way. But, um yeah, that's how I kind of fell into it. And um, so I worked at Icon, which is a production brewery, uh, making, you know, really large batches, talking like uh, like 400 heck of beer at a time kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, yeah, Icon kind of, you know, was a, a really interesting experience. It was such a big brewery, uh, like just really production-based, you know what I mean, just uh, very, you know, this is a recipe, these are the specs, like this is like, it's it's basically science, you know what I mean? Like it has to hit this, you know, that mm-hmm. we're making this beer for other people. It's not our own our own brand or anything like that. So there's no wiggle room for creativity or anything like that. Just, you know, make the beer and make it perfectly every single time, which is really good to learn, um, you know, how to be a brewer in that kind of environment. It was also quite understaffed. So I was thrown in to a lot of things very quickly, which, you know, these days you'd probably – you know, spend two or three years before you, you know, sitting on the brew deck by yourself with like, you know, 16 hour brew day, making 40,000 litres of beer, you know what I mean? Like, um, so that was really, really good. Um, and then, yeah, there, an opportunity came up at Akasha, which I'd always been a big fan of theirs. And I was, you know, quite friendly with Dave and uh, a couple, couple of the other people there. So 
yeah, that, that happened. And I, I moved over there and, and started brewing. And, uh, you know, that was a vastly different experience. Um, a lot, uh, you know, Icon was good, but like um, Akasha was a, a, more of a family. You know what I mean? It was at Icon, it was me um, and the other two brewers like in the trenches. You know what I mean? We're, we're still really good friends, I think, because of that. <laughs> but at Akasha, it was like a nice little family and like, a much more pleasant everyday experience, if that makes sense, to, to go to work to and all that kind of stuff. So, yeah, that's that's how I got into brewing, which yeah, is probably a, a one-off, I would say, or, or close to. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it doesn't sound like a normal trajectory anyway. Um, and, and that's a point as well. Like, I really like that you've made the distinction between the production brewery and the smaller brewery, because I imagine you were able to be a bit more creative at Akasha then. Yeah, totally. Um when I first started working at Akasha, they were chockers, like absolutely at capacity. So it was quite funny because I, when I first started working there, I think I brewed like Hopsmith and Freshwater like every day for two months. You know what I mean? Like it was, they were really, really like just pumping it out. Um, but very quickly uh, we got some new tanks um, pretty much as soon as I started, like in the first few months. Um so that allowed a lot more limited releases and stuff. And like you see today, Akasha are releasing um, one or two new beers every single month. And that doesn't include the pilot stuff that's going just out of the tap room and, and stuff. So yeah, it became a lot more creative very quickly, which was really cool and really awesome to have that kind of input and learn a little bit more about like the recipe side of things, um, which obviously now is like almost exclusively like, what I do as a role of head brewer at a gypsy brewery, you know what I mean? So, <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. Oh, crazy. Um, so obviously, as we say, you've gone through a different trajectory. Would Do you ever wish you'd got any qualifications? Were they available when you started? What do you think about them in general? Are they an essential thing to have nowadays? It definitely doesn't hurt these days, I reckon. Um, the TAFE course wasn't around when I got into brewing. There was the, the IBD. Um, which I did think about doing, um, but it just, it just never really worked. Uh, you know, the, the, the study, basically the time off that it would require to, to study and do all that kind of stuff. So I never did go down that path, but I mean, knowledge is power. Like if I have time in the future, I I'd probably still do an IBD. Um, I think that the brewing, the TAFE course, um, is, is really, really good, uh, especially for the, the entry level stuff. And I'm sure that there's plenty that the TAFE course could still teach me today. Um, but I think that mm -hmm. realistically, you know, having worked for seven or what, or however many years in the industry, probably, probably a little bit beyond it, if that makes sense. But <laughs> I, yeah, I guarantee that you are. Yes, Chris. <laughs> no need to be shy about that. <laughs> um, but what if you got an assistant brewer? What would, what would you look for? Well, I'm pregnant, so I've actually just hired a brewer to um, help run the brewery in uh, the Reckless Brewery as we open it. Um, okay. So mm -hmm. there are a few things in particular that I was really keen to kind of explore. One, I had to get someone who I really trusted because I will not be able to be on the ground. Um, so I'm excited that uh, his experience, you know, he's got similar to me, I guess, he's got that big brewery experience as well as... Um, you know, some smaller brew pub stuff. But I mean, process is just like everything in brewing process and cleaning. So if you can do those two things, like you'll be right. And then, <laughs> and then, you know, we can teach recipe development to anyone, you know what I mean? So it really is that it really is that science stuff, you know what I mean? Um, well, firstly, congratulations, Grace. Um, also, are you mental? Um, setting up a brewery and being pregnant sounds really difficult. Thank you, and yes, <laughs> yeah, it's um, it's not ideal, but you know, if you're gonna do it, you just go all in. <laughs> um, and we talked off air just briefly about um how to manage that. Um, and Grace, uh, for the listeners out there, um, Grace very kindly helped me out with an article recently about parenting in the brewing industry, um, specifically looking at parental leave, but also um, what it's like to be a brewer uh, and run operations and be an employer or a business owner and um, have to prepare for a kid. Um, it looks 
challenging um, to say the least. Um, but I guess have you you've obviously had a bit more flexibility when you're running your own business compared to when you work for like a cash or whoever beforehand. Um, is that how you found it? How how were those um, experiences different? You know, I think as well. First, children are just like so. It is my second um, pregnancy, so I've got um, a two and a half year old at home. So. I had him just before the pandemic and just as reckless was actually uh, starting up. <laughs> I got back from maternity leave the day that Sydney went into lockdown, actually. So that was an, also an interesting experience, oh. but um, oh my God. it was crazy. It was insane. <laughs> it was like I'd been alone like with a, a small child for, you know, the 18 weeks or whatever it is of maternity leave. And I got back to the brewery and it's like deserted. Like someone waved at me from like, you know, across the other side, like, don't come near me. Like, hi, welcome back. Like, <laughs> you're good, right? <laughs> it was very, very strange. <laughs> but it's been, it has been different, obviously. Like, <laughs> um, yeah, as a business owner, like I've got, you know, every piece of flexibility that I need. So, you know, able to go to appointments and, you know, work from home and just, you know, do what I need to do. I can reschedule, you know, meetings with other, uh, you know, people in our business and other members of the team and all that kind of stuff. So it's definitely been a lot more flexible, obviously. And we gypsy brew. Um, so we, we actually brew at Akasha, which is amazing because uh, for a number of reasons, obviously Akasha are, are making amazing beer. So just having our beer in their hands, like, you know, I'm very comfortable with that. But also like the fact that I've been there, I know their processes, I know how they how they work. The the guy who now runs, you know, the, the show at Akasha on the brewing side of things, like he was my assistant brewer at one stage, you know what I mean? So like I didn't I definitely didn't teach him everything he knows, but like I know that part of his being is like from like me showing him how to do things, you know what I mean? So it, I'm very, very comfortable with them. Mm -hmm. So it's been amazing because I can just give them my recipe and we can just have a quick chat about it. And I'm absolutely 100% confident that they're doing the absolute best job and they're treating it like one of their beers, which mm -hmm. is not always the case with Gypsy Brewing, especially in the larger breweries. No one cares for your baby as much as you do. You know what I mean? And I'm very, very pedantic and a little bit of a micromanager. So I've uh, we've, we've brewed at some other breweries and they've just been like, oh, my God, please go away. Like, just leave me alone to brew. <laughs> um, so. I mean, that's exactly what I was going to ask you. Um, because being a, uh, like a nomad, nomad brewer, um, that looks really hard for someone who's worked in a brewery before, has had that control over what they do and when they do it and how they do it, compared to just handing off something that they've made their their IP and then just hoping it turns out the way that they want it um I guess you've got some special circumstances though Grace so like that, that sounds like it's a little bit easier um maybe for you yeah 100 percent. I think the first brewery that we brewed at I think I drove them insane we only did one batch there and I'm pretty sure it was my fault <laughs> I was just every day I, I like <laughs> wanted to be there and I wanted to talk to him and I wanted to ask him questions and like he didn't do things exactly the way that I did and I wasn't okay with that. You know what I mean? Like I was really, really like a big micromanager. In the end, it was fine. But like, uh, you know, we had different styles. So it didn't, you know, we didn't mesh. <laughs> you know what I mean? So yeah. definitely yeah. had better experiences yeah. as, as we've gone along. Uh, but it, in the end, it's all about the beer. And even that first batch of beer was absolutely like, I think, perfect. So there was no, there was no dramas in the end. But yeah, it was a a more stressful scenario than it needed to be, I think. <laughs> <laughs> crazy, crazy times. But obviously having been a brewer, you were you knew how hard it is to run a brewery. So are you mental or do you know something that we don't know in setting up your own brewery? <laughs> Why did you do it? I think I'm mental. <laughs> no. um, it just it just made sense, I think. Like so we started, um, we started the brewery, it's me and my husband and my best friend, Alice. And, um, Alice is, uh, quite a, a big wig in the, in the international tax world. Um, and Jared is, uh, is basically a logistics expert, um, and, and works with grain as well. Incidentally, he didn't when we started, but, but now does. And so I obviously had the brewing side of things. So, 
Like it just seemed like a good idea. Like we just felt like we had three really good skill sets to go into something like this in order to make something that was successful. So like I, you know, I obviously I've worked, I worked at Akasha for about five years. So Dave has been a massive influence on my career and all that kind of stuff. But I, I look at him and Dave is, um, Dave is everyone. You know what I mean? He, he, especially when they started, you know, he was a brewer. He was doing the financing. <laughs> like he, he was doing the logistics. He did everything. And I don't think that I would be able to do that, honestly. Like, especially like in this day and age with children and like all, all other stuff that's going on. Um, so having Alice and Jared gave me a little bit more confidence <laughs> that, you know, we were three people doing basically what Dave did at the beginning and that we, you know, were competent in our, in our own areas. <laughs> so we would, we would work. <laughs> uh, we quickly realized though, that we had very little sales experience and we're absolutely terrible at it. So we brought on a sales manager uh, and he's been amazing. So that's been awesome as well. But yeah, I think, mm-hmm. yeah, just being able to like, see those places where you lack the skills um you know obviously and fill that hole makes it a lot less stressful like if we were trying to still do sales like i don't think we'd be here today chatting about opening a brewery you know what i mean (laughs) yeah yeah absolutely and you're right and i hear that a lot from um on sort of bigger businesses and entrepreneurs and that's what they all talk about it's like knowing where your um weaknesses are and how to balance those with the business needs and what you can afford as well is also a key issue um so yeah it it looks like it could be a tricky one I was also thinking as well so we've seen like a few like friends and partners and stuff getting involved and I always think you know um if I worked with my partner and if I set up a business with my partner um one of us would kill the other how have you been finding it working with your mate and your husband yeah you know what it it is hard and you you do really have to like make a conscious effort to um you know to balance work slash slash friendship and all, all that kind of stuff um it's really tough at the moment because i've just started working literally full time without any other job um, whereas my husband and my part, um, my business partner Alice, she they still work their full time jobs um, as well as as reckless. So I'm, you know, we're we're in the stage where we're doing lots of boring stuff, lots of licensing, like the ordering equipment, that kind of stuff. That's not boring. It's super fun, but you know, <laughs> we're doing all that kind of stuff. So it's not we don't need fifteen hands on the ground right now, but. I'm a very demanding person and I'm like, well, I'm working. Why aren't you? You know what I mean? Like Alice is in, will be in a meeting like for three hours with some like international like tax conglomerate. And I'm going to be, I'm like, um, I need this like tiny piece of documentation from you. Like yesterday, like what's going on? (laughs) So I, I personally just have to like, remember (laughs) that. (laughs) Um, But we're pretty, we're pretty good. Like, we make a conscious effort to, to remember, you know, that we are mates first and that we wouldn't be here if we weren't friends and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's it's definitely changed our relationship a little bit, like um, for, for the better, I think. Like we're just, we're just stronger friends, I guess. We're, we're really bound by more than friendship. You know, we've got a, a little, our own little baby. Yeah, it's just exciting. It's just so fun. Like it's so cool to do it with your friends as well because it's like, you can really share it, you know what I mean? So, yeah, it's been good. It's been good. <laughs> and do you, like, make a conscious effort to say, right, we're going to hang out, like, have a date night with your husband or I'm going to go hang out with Alice at the movies or whatever and not talk about work? Or is it full on, we'll talk about work regardless? I think we plan to do those things and then end up talking about work. <laughs> it's like, but we find it so fun. It's so funny because, like, during the pandemic, obviously, um, you know, everyone's working from home. So me and my husband were sharing our home office and like every second that we weren't kind of, you know, working or just, you know, having a little break or whatever, we just kind of turn to each other and be like, so the brewery's going to have like this, 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 and like, we're going to do this food and we're going to make this bit like, and we just start talking and we just both get these big grins on our face and just be so excited about like, so like, it's it's not as bad as it sounds, you know what I mean? <laughs> Excellent. And it's not like you're just fresh off the boat doing it. Like this, you've, you guys have worked together for the past couple of years doing Reckless. So I guess you kind of know what people's strengths and weaknesses are and that it's cool that you talk about work and you've found that balance already. Um, has that changed, though, 
now that you're actually opening like your physical venue like you say the the work I guess has probably escalated a fair bit um and the areas where you have to work on planning and development licenses all that kind of stuff like that is extra stuff that you would never have had to worry about before yeah totally well we we did have to get um you know some licenses when we first started but this is just yeah, a whole new ballpark uh obviously of of different kind of regulations and all that kind of stuff like I said, like having, having me working on it full time, it's like, I'm almost like the, the manager, if that makes sense. So I do as much as I can, but there's, there's just things that I can't do because that's not my area slash, you know, I'm not, you know, I'm not privy to, to that side of the, the business essentially, because we set it up in a way that like, you know, we have our areas and, you know, we work on those areas and then we basically share what needs to be shared, if that makes sense. Like, obviously have access to it all, but I wouldn't know how it would work. <laughs> you know what I mean? That kind of stuff. So um, it, it works really well because I just think that no one is like overwhelmed by by anything. Like, you know, if I started trying to, you know, tell Alice and Jared like all the intricacies of like how the brewery runs and everything, Jared sat in on a few of our meetings with our um our manufacturers of our equipment and he's just like what is happening <laughs> like I just do not understand what is happening so uh, <laughs> likewise if Alice tried to explain uh tax to me I would be exactly the same <laughs> I'd just be like I can't understand what's happening <laughs> so it, it has worked well from from that kind of sense um but yeah obviously challenges are you know I want something now and like I said Alice's big wig doing big wig things and can't get it to me immediately (laughs) (laughs) so I've got to wait till the evening which you know is is fine at the end of the day it's fine (laughs) she's teaching you patience okay Grace (laughs) exactly (laughs) hi everyone this is Matt we're breaking into this podcast for a word from our sponsor as we like to say but not just any sponsor as you know at Bruce News we're very selective who we work with And this is a special partnership with Lark Whiskey, which is soon to release the fifth incarnation of its collaboration with Wolf of the Willows Brewery. In this annual exchange of ideas and whiskey barrels between Lark and Wolf, Lark hand-selects whiskey casks and sends them to the Victorian-based brewery, who fills them with Imperial Johnny Smoke Porter. Before it is decanted, and the now beer-infused casks are filled with single malt whiskey. Hang around at the end of this podcast to hear my chat with Chris Thompson, master distiller at Lark, and how he discusses the collaboration. But here's a bit of a teaser that actually comes from my preliminary chat with Chris, who gives me some surprising insights when I ask him what beer should do to become a little bit more like whiskey in the consumer's mind. Beer shouldn't try and be like whiskey. Whiskey should try and be like beer. The rituals involved with beer are integrated into society. They're not pretentious and they add so much. At Lark, we are trying to be more like beer, more democratic, more open and more welcoming to, to new drinkers. Traditionally, that's not what whiskey's been. Beer shouldn't be trying to be a more serious drink. It should be a fun but complex and continue to add to society. Now, that definitely was not the answer I was expecting. And if you enjoyed that, please hang around at the end of this podcast to hear more about Chris's approach to whiskey in this bonus chat. It's a really fascinating insight into the partnership between beer and whiskey. So tell me a little bit more about your site then. Have you been looking ever since you started Reckless for a site? Did you always knew you were going to be or want to start a proper brewery with a, a potentially a venue attached to it I don't think anyone starts a like a brewing brand without having grand plans to open their own site it's pretty much impossible to make money <laughs> like if you're only going to be a gypsy brewer uh, unless you're you know like absolutely huge but then you know if you're absolutely huge you're brewing like at places where you don't have control and you know you uh, foregoing quality which then usually kind of stops you from being absolutely huge and all that kind of stuff so um we always definitely had had plans um they've changed multiple times especially you know with a pandemic starting what like uh five months after we opened basically or once we started selling beer um that that put everything on hold for us we were quite lucky because we we're big enough that 
you know, we were able just to keep making beer and just keep ticking along. We're just able to package. We didn't have too many kegs, all that kind of stuff. Um, but we were small enough that we didn't have any employees. So, you know, we, we didn't have to, you know, hold anyone up or anything like that. We didn't even have to, you know, talk about how, how we would do that and stuff. Um, second time around, a bit different. We did when the, the second lockdown happened kind of, it was about a year ago, I guess. Um, that was a different story. We had a lot of kegs and, and an employee. <laughs> but um, again, you know, we were able to, we're not so big. We didn't have 20 employees, right? We had one. So we were able to really work with him. And, you know, everyone uses the word that we pivoted to, you know, doing more kind of online sales and stuff like that. And he basically became a full-time delivery driver, <laughs> which he has lingered a little bit and he's not too happy about that. But, you know, I promise, Dan, that <laughs> we will have someone else. So worry. You got to do it. You got to do it. <laughs> but, yeah, so we, yeah, we always definitely planned to open our own venue. Um, we thought the pandemic would have really put a hold on things or just like set us back a little bit which it did to a certain extent, um, but I think for the better in the end because we, we were initially looking at um, Newcastle as a place where we thought that we our brand would really fit in and that, you know, there weren't a thousand breweries like the Inner West and all that kind of stuff. Um, mm-hmm. And we still actually do look at Newcastle as a, as a really good um, option for us, but we probably were looking at opening in Newcastle kind of year seven or ten. Um, but we just randomly came across this site in Bathurst. We were doing a online beer tasting during lockdown and someone from Bathurst was there and was like, because we actually live in Oberon, which is about 40 minutes from Bathurst, me and my husband. And this guy was like, you guys live in Oberon? You know there's like an abandoned brewery in Bathurst, right? Like kind of thing. <laughs> and we were like, no, actually, because we weren't actively looking at that stage. Like, we'll, you know what I mean? Like, we're looking everywhere for, for the right place, but we're in lockdown. So we were not actively looking during that that time for a, for a venue. Um, and, and, yeah, so we were like, all right, so contacted the real estate and went to have a look and, like, we're just absolutely amazed at what was still there from the previous tenants and stuff, um, saving us a lot of time and money. We put the, you know, well, I say we again, this is where my strength does not lie. Jared and Alice put together the business plan and ran all of the numbers. <laughs> I went, you know, this is how big the space is. This is how much beer we can produce. And like, this is what we're selling. You know what I mean? So this is what we could do. And it just, it all made perfect sense, basically. Um, so having having the Bathurst venue as well, actually in um kind of accelerates our Newcastle plans too because it means that, you know, we've obviously got a little bit more money um, coming through the door uh, and we've got more kind of wholesale capacity and all that kind of stuff. So if everything goes well, it should bring our plan for a Newcastle brewery forward a couple of years as well. So don't know what's going to happen in the future, but that's, that's, you know, ideally what what would be our plan. Oh, that is, as we say in my homeland, jammy how lucky is that um what was the state state of the site then what did it have in it so it had no equipment or anything like that but um just infrastructure just it had you know yeah i'm gonna get very boring but, but it had a tradeway system that was like far and beyond anything i've ever seen for that size brewery before like uh it's got a cool room it's got a full commercial kitchen shell you know what I mean like it's got everything there just needs the equipment in it essentially the bar is still there it's all tiled like the floor is is beautiful like all that kind of stuff it just needs you know the actual equipment and the chairs and the people and then it will be happy yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like and yeah just the time that it's gonna save us is amazing yeah um, so how, obviously there being a brewery there previously, it's kind of like the council knew what they were getting and like how have you found the planning and development bit of that? Yeah, so, I mean, yeah, that's something that I didn't even touch on, but all the DA approvals are essentially there for exactly what we want to do. So there's been, you know, a couple of back and forth with the council, but they were happy with what they had previously approved and we didn't need to seek any um, extra approval for what we were trying to do. So, um, yeah, they've been really, really helpful and really happy to just like get it all going for us basically as soon as possible. So we're expecting our liquor license to come in any day now. Um, and yeah, council has been excellent. Um, 
I think they're excited as well <laughs> to have a, a brewery back in town. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's the key thing as well. I know um, Peter Phillip, when he was the IBA chair, was saying, you know, the opportunity for breweries in Australia is potentially regional. Now, as Peter's got a city brewery, that makes sense. Um, but uh, at the same time, I was thinking, yeah, actually, that is a cool one. And we've talked about it a lot in relation to tourism and things like that. How do you think you might um, embed Reckless into the locality and the tourism? And have you thought about any of that kind of angles for it? Yeah, I mean, you haven't even opened, so I'm probably getting ahead of myself here. No, 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 you're right on the money. Like, I think it's super important. There, There is no other brewery in Bathurst or no physical brewery. There's a few um, kind of, you know, nomad brewers and gypsy brewers and stuff. Um, but it's the largest town in Australia at the moment with no physical brewery. So I think, you know, that obviously speaks for itself in opportunity. Um, but Bathurst is a massive tourist destination, especially uh, around October. My husband will tell you, he knows more about it than I do, when something called the V8 supercars arrive at Mount Panorama. Yes, I had heard um, of something wild going on out there. Yeah, there's yeah, so some kind of crazy race going on. <laughs> no, it's, it's really it's really quite fun, actually. Like, my husband is a big rev head, and so I've obviously been indoctrinated into the into that way of life and it is it's quite fun Bathurst's the only racetrack that I've been to and it's it's just uh it's amazing really like it's really really cool um but anyway I digress so yeah there's obviously tourism in in Bathurst um especially uh for the big race um but there's also it's becoming you know a little bit more like orange like the a little bit more you know fine fine food and and uh wineries and now a brewery and all that kind of stuff so and you know the great migration of people leaving Sydney to to work um, remotely or uh, all that kind of stuff um, they've seen a big influx of like kind of inner city people with families and you know exactly that craft beer target market who are now finding that they've got a little bit extra spending money because their rent's a lot cheaper in Bathurst than it was in you know Annandale. <laughs> yeah definitely. And that's like such a key point as well. And I mean, demographics is something that you obviously consider when you're setting up a brewery, um, which is why I was really interested to hear that you were thinking of Newcastle as well, because they're quite different um, from what I understand, <laughs> having only actually been to uh, Newcastle. <laughs> uh, so don't know what Bathurst like, um, but they seem to be quite different. So why were you thinking of Newcastle to start off with? They are different, but they're not. You know, you know what I mean? Like when it gets down to the like the nitty gritty of like young families with like disposable income, like all those kind of boring little statistics and stuff. Obviously, Newcastle is a lot bigger. Um, and, and I think a little a part of us as well was like I would love to have you know like beachside property in Newcastle like don't know how we would do that on our wages but you know <laughs> you can dream Absolutely. but yeah. um there are already breweries in Newcastle so that are being that have been successful and all that kind of stuff so it was almost a, a, a safer option we didn't live in Oberon as well at the time when we like started thinking Newcastle would be a good spot for us um so like obviously the locality to to Bathurst like changed a lot of of um the way that we that we were thinking um my husband is from the central coast so we spend a lot of time up there um and I'm actually here right now on the coast so I should say here but um yeah so it just kind of Newcastle made sense but yeah I think that when you when you look at it they're they're actually not that different, you know what I mean, when you look at the young families and, and people who enjoy and are craving craft beer um, to Newcastle and Bathurst. Geographically, yes, very different. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to bring it up anyway, but um, you make the point that Newcastle's got a fair few breweries in it. And, you know, we often hear um, or people question us and say, uh, at Brews News and say, oh, what do you think is the is the brewing industry saturated in Australia? Do we have any room for any more? What do you think, Grace? There's plenty of room for more. <laughs> Obviously regional, like there's definitely space. But I still think that, um, you know, Sydney and, and Newcastle and, and those kind of places who already have a few, I think there's definitely space. Um, I look at the US, you know, I've spent a lot of time there, um, you know, there's a brewery in like every suburb and every country town, you know what I mean? And it's just, 
it's that really like community local kind of like spirit and aspect to it and because there's so many it's just so competitive and they're brewing such good beer so it's only good for the industry for us to have more and more um more and more breweries popping up around the place that's good awesome but especially if you're the uh only one in Bathurst I reckon that's quite helpful (laughs) to start off with anyway I think it will be good (laughs) I'm not seeing too many uh people uh objecting (laughs) to it we had to hand out our um notice of liquor application to like the the people uh you know our immediate neighbors essentially and every single one that we handed out they look like they were going to cry with joy like <laughs> very happy so yeah we get we get social media um like posts um you know messages every every week being like are you guys open yet when are you opening like you know or just like oh just wanted to let you know i'm very very excited that you're opening you know <laughs> like it's really really nice so like obviously you know we're we're local but we're not local like we we live the next town over but we're really being embraced with open arms as as locals. So that's very, very cool. Excellent. And on that point then, over COVID, we obviously talked a lot about the importance of local and we saw consumers move to um, local produce, local beer, and it sort of got tied into discussions about independence and about what craft is. And like, it's, I always find it, um, from my perspective, really complicated. Um, but to some people, they find it super easy. Um, so what what do you think about, um, does independence have clout? Is that something that we should be um, defining and talking about more? Or is it craft? Or is it local? Or what do you think, Grace? <laughs> to solve the biggest problem in brewing industry. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? It's a really hard one. I guess for me, like, you know, as, as a producer, um, who has done it, you know, from scratch, like, or like by ourselves, you know what I mean? Like, obviously, independence is very, very important to us. And we feel very proud of what we've been able to achieve, you know, with just basically family and friends, like backing us, you know what I mean? Um, so I'm, yeah, I'm a very big believer that you should support your local and, and independent kind of brewery. It's only going to be better for your beer. If the big guys are making your beer and it's just the big guy making your beer, then it's not going to get better. But if you've got, you know, three breweries in Bathurst all vying for your, you know, for your kind of customership and all that kind of stuff, they're just going to get better and better and better. Just like what we've seen in the inner West, you know, the beers that are coming out of the inner West in Sydney in particular and in Melbourne, of course, as well. And Sunshine Coast, like there's plenty of like, you know, spots in Australia that have this like amazing like mecca of craft but they just get better and better and better and they're just amazing the stuff that's coming out of them and you you wouldn't get that if you just had the big guys making your craft beer you know what I mean so yeah I personally but I would be because I'm an independent brewer like I'm a small independent local brewer so (laughs) (laughs) also obviously as well like price point is massive when it comes to that kind of stuff yeah (laughs) but yeah when you look at price point as well I think that the smaller guys are getting a little bit um better as well at competing on on that end but you know i i personally and my children thank you for supporting local beer so that you know we can have a nice dinner every once in a while (laughs) (laughs) oh great oh brilliant oh (laughs) Uh, i'm sure you'll smash it and open ten thousand venues and be become a major brewer um but what what would you want would you <laughs> want to open a few venues do you want to go down the multi-venue model oh, i don't know i just one venue is enough for me at the moment <laughs> let's see how this one goes first <laughs> oh brilliant now there is something i wanted to chat about something that sort of caught our eye um at Bruise News, and we talked about it on the podcast and everything, the weekly one we do, um, was the NAS XPA uh, for International Women's Day this year that you did in collaboration with Akasha as well. Uh, how did you get involved in that? What was the inspiration behind that? It was so cool. Um, so we actually started this little series and collab last year with um, our Frida XPA, which again was a collaboration between Reckless and Akasha. Um, at the time of both, I was obviously working at Akasha, so it was a very easy collaboration with myself, <laughs> which is always nice. Um, <laughs> but yeah, essentially with um, with this one, <laughs> with the with the Naz, I just 
you know, we wanted to kind of honor an Australian woman this time for International Women's Day. Um, and I just kind of put it to a few of my friends, you know, like who, who are some like, uh, and someone now, you know what I mean? I didn't want to like someone old and, you know, who's been dead for 50, 60, 100 years kind of thing. I wanted someone now, you know. So, yeah, we just kind of had a bit of a brainstorm. And it was one of my friends actually mentioned Naz, and I've been a massive fan of hers, um, you know, for a long time since she was doing the news on Triple J and stuff. I just found her story just so inspirational, just like, just gobsmacking. <laughs> like, I just like, I'm amazed at how she's been able to do all of these amazing things, um, you know, with with her certain hardships and all that kind of stuff. Um, and just completely like busted through all those biases and all that kind of stuff. And just like, you know, you wouldn't know. I think that the, a casual Triple J listener like wouldn't wouldn't have known that she was blind and all that kind of stuff. And then you like start thinking about it. Like, wait, how does someone who's blind read the news? And it's just, yeah, this blows your mind essentially. So we we landed like on her as like an awesome inspirational woman who's Australian. Uh, and so I just reached out to her on social media. Like I did not really think that it was going to work or whatnot, but it did and she was super excited. And so we worked together with her and with um, Vision Australia uh, to create a can that obviously the, the main feature was that it had Braille on it, um, the readable Braille, um, which we think is it was a first ever. Um, we, we couldn't find any other breweries um, across the world who have done it, so that was pretty cool. Um, but not only that, we also uh, made the label approachable for people who had like low vision. Um, so like the colors really contrast and all that kind of stuff so that you can still see the design and all that kind of thing. And then the, we had a QR code on the back that had raised borders so that if you were blind, you could feel that it was there, um, with QR spelt in Braille as well on the back. Um, cause there's no universal, uh, Braille or, um, something for people who are vision impaired to tell them that there are QR codes there so we found that really interesting so we worked with vision australia about like what they were hoping would happen in the future so hopefully that's going to be something that happens eventually um that kind of raised border around the qr code um and that linked you to naz reading a description of the can uh and the and the can copy and all of the info on the can as well so there are a few a, a various few like different bits to it that all kind of came together to make it as accessible as possible for everyone. So it was really, really cool, really, really cool project to work on. And it was kind of my last one at Akasha as well. So it was really nice to kind of, you know, go off with a project that, that that's that awesome, you know, makes you feel that good. Absolutely. Yeah. And it was a fantastic one. I thought it was amazing. And I was the same. I looked and I couldn't find that anybody in Australia had done, done anything um, similar. But if any listeners um, know of it, do let us know. Um, but why do you think we haven't quite got there yet? Is it just a, as in why is this the first time that we've seen Braille on a can or one of the first times, should we say, because we don't know just yet? Um, why don't we think about that element of the market? Well, I mean, obviously, once we did it, we had conversations about, well, what we should do this for every beer. And unfortunately, it just it comes down to price for for that kind of aspect. It was extremely expensive to produce a label that had the raised Braille that was readable and, you know, fit into all of the guidelines that are required. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. You know, I think, yeah, from a manufacturing point of view, we need to figure out a better way to, to put Braille on there <laughs> or make it cheaper or somehow. Um, but yeah, like that's kind of, that is the first barrier for sure. Um, and it's one that's very, very hard to get past. (laughs) Um, if your label is going to cost you, it was about 10 times as much, basically the label, um, for these cans. Um, oh my god yeah it's all very well I guess doing something that really is trying to encourage diversity in the industry but also you need to have a business to be able to sell that product or service um and if you kept doing that I think it would very quickly run out of money like you say um exactly you know, exactly once you've had that conversation and you've done that people will be working on similar things. Um, the ball will hopefully start rolling. Um, Cause I know we've been thinking about how to talk about 
um, inclusivity in the industry across multiple levels, not just women. Obviously, we've had a um, big focus on, you know, the parenting and the brewing industry when that was a lot of a lot about women. But, you know, there's a lot we could do better as an industry to be diverse across multiple different t- types of people. Um, what? How do you think we can do it better? Is there is there anything that we should be doing better? It's just talking about it. So, like with NAS, with the NAS XBA, like yes, we determined that we couldn't really put Braille on every can, but we learnt so much more um, just from talking with NAS about like what makes her life easier. So, something that um, that she brought up was on Instagram and and Facebook, um, you can add uh, you can add alternate text that basically describes the image and things like that. So that's something that you can do to help people who have vision impairness and all that kind of stuff so that they can experience, you know, the beautiful labels and, you know, enjoy what you're posting to social media. Uh, it's something that we try to do. We, it's, it does still get forgotten, but it's there in the back of your mind, you know what I mean? So it's, it's a process. It needs to become part of that everyday kind of thing that you do. And when you're posting on the fly, it's a little bit hard. But when you actually sit down and think about it, I often have to go back, you know, in the evening, when we've especially been at a festival or something, and I've just been posting like Instagram posts from the festival and go back and add that alternate text just as a reminder, you know, that you know, there are people who want to enjoy our content, but can't if we don't like make it accessible to them. So I think, yeah, talking about it, doing beers like that like obviously there's just so much that we, that we learned and that i didn't know um what one of the ones that naz pulled me up on was it's vision uh impaired not visually impaired <laughs> which i'd never never heard of before i didn't i didn't know it was just one of those things that i just had i don't know just picked up somewhere <laughs> uh, but visually impaired is like you know you look funny that's basically what it means. Not that you you can't see or are hard yes, to see. That one, right? <laughs> so, yeah, exactly. Oh but you know, it's one of those things that, like, you just you'd never if you weren't talking about it, you'd never, you'd never, um, you'd never know. So, yeah, I think talking about these kinds of things is super important. And I think you know the article that that you did about the parenting um, and how both men and women find you know parenting in the brewing industry it's a conversation that opens the eyes to a lot of people who haven't experienced it before um, or their experience has been terrible. So they assume that, you know, it's just going to be terrible forever. You know what I mean? So it's just about talking about these things and having the knowledge that other people are going through it and that there's resources and that you can talk to people and both as an employee and as an employer, you know, how to get the, the best out of your staff and how to help them like transition, like, a lot of young people in the brewing industry who are at that age where they are having families and all that kind of stuff Um, and especially women we know that it's really hard to get women back into the workplace especially if it's a inflexible like brewing is so but yeah it's just all about talking (laughs) and I mean that it just feeds into some stuff that I know that's been on the minds of um like people like the at the IBA talking about how to um, make the brewing industry like a brew uh, like an employer of choice like you wouldn't think oh it's people think oh yeah it'd be great it'd be a nice idea but they don't necessarily think of it as a proper in, in inverted commas um, career choice because of like the things you say it being inflexible but if we can be seen to be engaging with these issue issues and potentially coming up with solutions for them then we will attract more people to the industry and different types of people and improve that quality of the beer through all this um, talking and diversity and just chatting it through, just figuring it out um, as an industry, I think. Yeah, 100%. 100%. I think that there's, yeah, there's so much that we can take. This is where we can probably look at those big guys as well and see what they're doing. Um, it's obviously harder for small businesses to, you know, be offering like – my husband's work offers like a $10,000 bonus to women when they come back to work. Like there's, there's things that are just impossible like that we, or at least right now, you know, maybe that is something that in the future that, that will be kind of stock standard, but yeah, there's so many things uh, to, like you say, become that employer of choice. And one of them is definitely flexibility um, for returning parents. But I think, you know, as well, like we've got a lot to talk about with wages and all that kind of stuff as well. Having lived on the, 
employee side, like I know how hard it can be. Like you could make your bet, you know, you're, you're essentially doing a trade and you could make sometimes three, four, five times as much as you are as a brewer doing a trade. Um, so like, yes, there's beer. Yes. The community is amazing. All that kind of stuff. But that's one of the big questions that people do ask themselves when they do become parents and got another mouth to feed and all that kind of stuff is like, is my love of beer really like worth, worth this and all that kind of stuff. So yeah, I think there's plenty of conversations still to have for sure. Yep. Agreed. And I'm going to keep chatting to you about them, Grace, because you apparently solve all the problems. So, <laughs> Thank you very much for that. My pleasure. My pleasure. <laughs> um, now, when are you planning on opening Reckless? So everything going smoothly, which of course it won't, but you know, so far so good. Um, we'd be hoping to uh, have kind of our grand opening early September, which would very nicely coincide with our third birthday, which would be really cool. Um, so yeah, just a few, few things in the, in the works there that have to fall into place nicely, but that's the, that's our goal date. (laughs) Fall into place, including giving birth to a human person? Yes. Uh, (laughs) yes, that is one of those things that will need to fall into place. (laughs) Well, I don't think that it will fall into place. I think that she'll just decide that it's time. (laughs) Um, but yeah, so yeah, obviously that's, uh, that's, a spanner in the works but yeah as i said earlier like we um we've hired a brewer to, who, who will uh be able to take over the reins while i'm in the hospital essentially um <laughs> and uh, yeah he's he's gonna be he's gonna be great i'm really excited uh but not only does he have all of the the skills that we need but he's just a really nice bloke so that's uh that's half the well more than half i think of the uh Excellent. you know ideal employee is uh, good vibes. <laughs> <laughs> it does help. It does help. Um, oh, brilliant. Okay, cool. Um, well, keep in touch and let us know how it goes. Um, really keen to um, keep you on the brewery radar and do a brewery opening piece because it's just a great journey. And I know I said it off air, but like that's people's dream to have like a beer brand that they then actually turn into a brewery. Um, so you're living the dream here, Grace, is all I'm saying. Um, but an impressive journey so far and I'm really excited to see what comes from Reckless. Thank you. I think it's an insane dream and <laughs> but it's all uh, it's all seems to be working at the moment so let's hope that everything keeps kind of like just falling into place and good decisions keep being made. <laughs> good beer keeps being brewed. That's, that's the end of it, right? That's the, the crux of it. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Oh, fantastic. Oh, well, thank you so much, Grace Fowler, for coming on the Beer is a Conversation podcast. It was wonderful to have you. My absolute pleasure. It's been lovely to chat. Crime Malt has been supplying the best ingredients to Australian and New Zealand brewers for 30 years. Their range of malt, hops and yeast is sure to take your beer to the next level. Proud sponsors of Brews News and Beer as a Conversation since the very beginning. Learn more about Crime Malt at www.crymalt.com.